Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News in Denver, Colorado. And of course, you can contact me on any of the contact links in the description of this fine program. You can also call the listener hotline, which I would love for you to do, 303-832-0217 is that phone number. Well, it's been a while since I've had this next segment on the show, our talking traffic segment, where we hook up with a traffic anchor from somewhere in the United States and talk traffic. The last one I did was back in March of 2020 with Tampa's Sarah Finney. I, I think it was actually the week before the shutdowns, uh, and nearly two years have passed, so I've decided to bring the segment back, and today we're going to Sin City, to lovely Las Vegas, Nevada, and speak with Nate Tannenbaum, traffic anchor for 8 News Now, the CBS affiliate. Nate has been a popular television and radio personality in Las Vegas for over 30 years, named the best TV weather forecaster in the Las Vegas Review-Journal seven times, also well-known for his work with the community organizations, large and small and hundreds of school visits down throughout the years. Nate, thanks so much for being here on the world famous Driving a Crazy podcast. Well, Jason, thank you so much. I hope that being the first person back after two years that we don't drive your show right back into the ground. That's a <laughs> Well, I, I do a good job of that anyway every single time I record this. Uh, okay. <laughs> before we talk about any kind of traffic issues there in Las Vegas, let's learn a little bit more about Nate. You are originally from Colorado, right? Yeah, uh, my dad, back in the 1960s, was the head librarian at what then was uh, Regis College, which was still a Jesuit boys-only school back in the 60s. Obviously, it's Regis University now. We did leave in the uh, late 60s. My dad took a job in Indiana, but uh, I went to elementary school in Denver. All of my older siblings uh, went to, uh, let's see, uh, Smiley Junior High and then uh, Denver East. I did my junior high and high school back in Indiana, but I came back to go to DU back in the mid seventies. Uh, did a whole bunch of radio. I worked at Cozy One Hundred One for a while. Oh, Jason. I did as well. Oh my gosh! Yes, we are. <laughs> that is one thing we have in common. Yes, K O S I Cozy One Hundred One Point One FM, Denver's best light rock variety. Yeah. So back then, <laughs> it was it was the uh, three ten inch open reel oh, reel sure. reel tape machines, and we were definitely Muzak back then. I, uh, I, they actually, I don't know if they did this with you, but they made me change my air name. And yes. I was, uh, I was watching, uh, that show, uh, wild, wild west with, uh, uh, uh Jim Conrad and, yeah. uh, uh Ro or, yeah. And I, and I picked the Robert name, Conrad. Robert yeah. Conrad. That's it. Cause I picked Jim West as my, uh, as my, <laughs> hair, as my hair name. Well, you know, not to get too deep into the weeds here, but was Lee Stewart still there when you were there? No, I don't recall Lee being there at that time. Yeah. He was the PD who, uh, who hired me. And this was literally seconds before I went on the air. He goes, no, about your name. <laughs> I'm going, oh, crap, I'm about to go on the air here. What's happening? Oh, uh, Tottenbaum would be a distraction for our listeners. So we have determined that you're going to be Nathan Thomas. I go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, you know, as much as I didn't like leaving Colorado in the late 60s, we were sort of like a hippie family sort of, uh, to go to Indiana in the late 60s, early 70s, Indiana was still sort of like in the 1950s back then, and a long-haired kid, uh, he was the kind of kid who would get eggs thrown at his house. However, 
Uh, that's where I got my start in broadcasting. I was able to get my first job as a DJ in 1974 at a 500-watt daytimer station, and I was the kid that turned off the radio station at night. And you probably still, like I do, have the old FCC transmitter license? Absolutely. Yeah. And then they started <laughs> making them like uh, sticky note pads where it didn't even matter. But I actually failed my uh, transmitter operator's test once. Oh, no. And my mom... My mom had to drive me back to Indianapolis because I didn't have my driver's license yet either. Uh, <laughs> funny. <laughs> but anyway, so in the uh, mid-70s, it was totally awesome. The first radio station I worked at was like a, it was called MOR back in the day, middle-of-the-road stuff, Perry Como, that kind of thing. And for a kid who was 17 or 18 years old, it was like, what, what is that? But now I have an appreciation for that music, and I actually like it. Um, so from... The uh, broadcasting started in Indiana in the mid-70s. I went to DU, uh, ended up not finishing at DU. I went to work for a political campaign, which was opened the door for me to get the job at Cozy, because the fellow I was working for was running against Bill Armstrong, if that name rings a bell. He was a, a U.S. senator from Colorado, and his family owned Cozy. So as the kid who was driving this failed candidate around, I was timid enough and polite enough when I knocked on the door after the campaign and the candidate actually spoke up for me and said, Hey, would you give this kid uh, some help here? So I ended up working at cozy for three years. Hardly any radio stations that I worked for are even around anymore. I mean, cozy's, I think cozy's still there. Isn't it? Oh yeah, it is. Uh, from there, I went to KBRQ, which was a country and Western. And then they took over KADX. KADX was a jazz station and these, uh, Country Bumpkin dudes from Wichita, Kansas, promised that they wouldn't ever change the jazz format, but of course they did. But that is where I made the transition from Cozy to KBRQ. I started working in news, and that really taught me a lot. Um, you know, we did beat reporting, and I drove a stupid little uh, K car around with a Marty unit and all that kind right. of stuff. Um, and so I learned just being around traffic uh, in 1984. Or something like that, I ended up at Metro Traffic, which you and I talked about before we started recording, was an old service that provided traffic reports during rush hours to a network of, I think it was 15 radio stations out of one little office. And you were telling me that you had worked for a similar company or started a similar company. Right. It's because uh, Metro was the big one. When I started at uh, Denver 7 uh, forever ago, It that, that's who we were getting our traffic from. But I also helped way before even that. There was a service called Airwatch America. They were out of California, and they wanted to get into Denver. And so I was working at KOA Radio at the time. And oh. and uh, so they, um, uh, Airwatch, wanted to get into Denver. So they asked me to be their flagship uh, morning producer and uh, anchor uh, wow. to, to do their morning stuff. And they had an office. They got an office right in downtown off of 17th uh, Street. So it was pretty interesting to, to start that. And I was working with... Uh, Chuck Burroughs and uh, some, oh man, there were so many other people. Actually, part of, some of them are even dead now uh, that, yeah. <laughs> that I used to well, work with. Um, was Gus Merkus still doing the Gus, morning show? Gus Merkus was on KOA when I first started there, yes. Um, yeah. And he was oh so grumpy. He would come out of the, come out of the main studio. How you doing, Gus? Ah, uh, crappy. Uh, and it was his standard line, but he didn't say crappy. He used the S word. <laughs> yeah, well, th that's who I grew up listening to, was Gus Merkus, and uh, KOA would be a, would have been a dream job for me, but I ended up uh, 
after a few years at Metro, uh, I was trying to get onto TV. I was actually doing a cable access once in a while show on Lakewood, and I shipped around those three-quarter-inch uh, videotapes, and I got hired in Grand Junction, which was my first TV job. And there they told me I was going to do the weather. And I said, well, you don't really want me to do that because I would have no idea what that was. I thought I was hired to be the host of the big money dialing for dollars movie. <laughs> right. Which was, I thought, well, I'm good for that. That'd be great. And they said, no, you're, you're doing the weather. I go, oh, oh. <laughs> there's the green wall. Stand over there and point. Perfect. Okay. So then I, from there, I got my job in Vegas. So I was in Junction for two years. Came to uh, Vegas in '89, uh, got kicked around a little bit, but I've worked at just about every TV station here in town. And there were a couple of years in between where I was back at Metro Traffic. Hmm. So I was kicking up my uh, traffic routes and, you know, having fun with that. Led to another gig. Then I ended up here at 8 News Now as a fill in guy for weather. And then I ended up filling in for traffic. And the uh, young lady who had been the traffic person got a job somewhere else, and they asked me to fill in. A month later, they said, hey, would you be interested in this job? And I go, well, I don't really have a job, so yes. <laughs> we'll take that as a yes. Yeah, so that was about five years ago. And obviously, the technology has changed so dramatically. I mean, back on the radio, I had a yellow legal pad, and they had these little hieroglyphic symbols that I knew what I was talking about and we had scanners mm -hmm. and we did have an air unit and we had mobile units and we would have little cart machines and folks would do little five or ten second reports and we would just run those down the network mm -hmm. but obviously things are different now Jason oh yeah you have we have the Google and we have uh, ways and people reporting stuff to us on Twitter it's just it, it's remarkably different all the different uh, DOT cameras that are available it it is so much better now to get information and good up-to-date accurate information than it was back then yeah the uh the dispatch pages for the local uh, law enforcement agencies are generally pretty well updated uh and we end up calling the our version out here is the regional transportation commission that runs the the camera network and if we need to have them twist a camera around to take a look at something sometimes we're telling them about crashes that they didn't know about and it's, it's a wonderful relationship, but even more than that, it's the, uh, the computers that we put on the air that show the maps that, like you said, have the Waze data in there that the road is, if the road is shut down, magically the, that stretch of freeway becomes purple on our traffic map, and I have absolutely nothing to do with it. It's, it's sort of automated, but the graphics that we, uh, that we have are just astounding. The, the amount of data that those computers chew up and spit out every day it's just become, you don't even stop and think about it, but, you know, when you're old people like us, it's like, well, that's kind of amazing. You probably are using WSI? Yes, sir. Okay. I'm using Total Traffic, which uh, is, they WSI tried to get me to use their service, and I, I told them it was crap, and um, and there were a lot of problems with it, and it was really designed for a weather uh, caster mm -hmm. to do, uh, and they're trying to make it do traffic, uh, because you know how traffic, it's not like weather. Weather happens over a longer period of time unless there's an active tornado or thunderstorm or something that's happening right this second but traffic is happening every single second and i said i needed a quicker ability to move things around and you just couldn't do it in the wsi system yeah and that has improved 
there are a lot of things with the WSI traffic that you can automate, but I don't do any of that because they are behind and the uh, icons are too tiny and stuff like that. So I'm strictly a hands-on manual operator with the thing where we, I zoom in and, you know, you save that and you can zoom over to something else and you, you put your symbols on and you create your text and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm okay with it. And it is helpful that in our station, it is both the weather and the traffic computers. So in, in our case, it seems to work. I'm speaking with Nate Tannenbaum, the traffic anchor at 8 News Now in Las Vegas. When um, it, It's interesting that you, you say that it's with weather and traffic, WSI. It's a lot of stations are like that. When they were trying to sell it to me for the uh, traffic service, they said, well, you also have the redundancy of the weather. So if your service goes down, if, you, if your traffic stuff goes down, you could always use the one that's on the weather side. And I said, uh, so you're telling me that your product stinks and that you're going to go down and that in that eventuality, I'm going to have to use the other one that doesn't really work very well. Yeah. Now, I, I don't want to get too inside because it's been a while since I've been there, but isn't Mike Nelson still there? He sure is. Uh, yeah, he started about a year and a half or so before I did there. And um, yeah, no, I, it's funny, Mike, I've known Mike for a long time. My wife uh, was actually his kid's babysitter. Oh, now that is a small world. I will tell you that I think when I was still in Junction and, and trying to get out of there, I did uh, get a meeting with Mike uh, when he was back at KUSA. And uh, I don't think he was all that impressed with me, but I was super happy to meet with him. And I think he's much more of a meteorologist than I am. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that Mike is still there because there's not a whole not a whole lot of us left anymore. And I just heard that, that Ed Green came back out of retirement. Oh, yes. He's working there at KUSA doing morning weather. Um, they needed somebody to, uh, to take over when Becky Ditchfield left. So they brought Ed in on a temporary basis. And now he's there kind of semi-permanently. Um, yeah, so he's, I worked with Ed too when I was at KOA, you know, taking, tra or taking weather reports from him. Uh, yes. because, yeah, we, we were, we had a partnership at KOA with, with channel four and then with channel nine. And then, so yeah. And Ed was all, all over the place. Well, I'm really sorry that I didn't get a chance to run into you because it sounds like we have kind of a lot in common just in terms of our careers and some of the people that we've worked with down through the years, but it's, it's great to talk to you here on your podcast. Yeah, definitely. You know, and many in our position in the traffic role, they want to do other things like you were forced into weather and then uh, you were now forced into traffic. Uh, but did you ever have any aspirations of, of getting out of the traffic department and, and going either strictly back to weather, getting a forecasting degree if you if you haven't received one yet or getting on the anchor desk? Yeah, uh, I had the opportunity to pursue the meteorology degree fairly early on in my time here in Las Vegas. And I actively made the decision not to do that because um, I am a huge fan of the National Weather Service. And I believe that the ladies and gentlemen that work there and the weather service all over the country, uh, almost 100% do a super job of helping us do our job. And I think I've picked up a little bit of information and, and, and knowledge about meteorology down through the years. I tell folks I went to the National Weather Service School of Meteorology. I have zero degrees. Uh, as I mentioned, I uh, didn't finish at DU. Um, and I thought I had some aspirations to do news anchoring because I've done that on the radio and I'm very comfortable with that. And if somebody were to offer me something like that, I would certainly talk to somebody about it. But I don't actively pursue it. And in terms of traffic, I love it. Um, here in Las Vegas, our rush hours aren't as bad as they are in Denver, and we when we get something pretty crappy, it's it is 
you know, it's a terrible thing and you really do have to work hard. But most of the times we have a few accidents each morning. It's mostly just where we have our own version of the mousetrap. Uh, out here, we call it the spaghetti bowl. And it's, you know, you just do what you do and I get a chance to interact and just be a, a friendly part of the show while everybody else does their thing. And Las Vegas was one of those cities that was really hurt by the shutdowns when the pandemic hit in 2020, the, the, the city shut down, everybody stayed away. There was a lockdown, obviously. It has really changed traffic patterns before uh, the shutdowns. It, Vegas was a booming city, growing like crazy and doing really well. What was traffic like before it stopped there, uh, before the pandemic? Yeah, so it, it was busy. And, and it is busy again, but you're, you're right. The, the shutdown was tough for everybody and the economy tanked just like it did everywhere else. But I think we were hit especially hard because when the hospitality industry shuts down, you know, I tell people that the, the tourism industry is our factory. You know, I, I hope that hel that helps people get how important that is to us. Like it's like in Pennsylvania with this, if the steel industry shuts down, it's, it's going to be really hard. So our daily factory basically shut down and that shut down all, all of the community pretty much. There was certainly no traffic and we had to do a lot of tap dancing. Traffic reports were a little bit shorter and we didn't, you know, we weren't highlighting a whole lot of stuff. And then I don't know what you guys ended up doing there during the pandemic, but we actually ended up broadcasting from home where there's, there's four people on our show. There's a male, female anchor. We have a female weather person. And then there's me that does traffic. So in, on any given week, two of us would be broadcasting from home and two of us would be in the studio and we would alternate and rotate. And this is, again, where the technology is just astounding. There is these software apps that would allow my laptop here at home to connect into the computers at work. And certainly there was some data delay and some slowness and stuff like that. But basically, I was able to have my clicker at home running the computer at the TV station. So very impressive that we were even able to do that. We took a part of our living room and made it what I creatively tried to call the Bowtie Nate Home Studio with our little electric piano in the background and photographs and stuff like that. But uh, the, the the technology is just amazing. But you, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, you, you've seen those traffic patterns change now as the city has been coming back from the bottom and as it's looking better economically. How has the traffic shifted I know for me, uh, there are a couple areas that are similar in traffic, but it still has not come back to the same robustness that it was before the pandemic. Yeah, the, the biggest focus that I've noticed uh, in what I do is uh, NDOT, the Nevada Department of Transportation, and all of the gargantuan projects that they take on, similar uh, to what you guys had with the I-25 there. I forget what it was, the trench or something like that? Oh, no, it was called the uh, T-Rex project. Yeah, T-Rex. Yeah. yeah. So, so we have stuff like that that really drives what we do. Uh, the most recent version prior to this, to what's going on now, was called Project Neon, where Interstate 15 was being widened and all kinds of stuff. And just the daily lane closures, uh, the squeezes of the lanes and all that stuff, that, that kept us busy. Uh, and the traffic... So when I first got to uh, Vegas in uh, 89, the population here was 500,000. We have uh, quadrupled since then. We're upwards of 2 million. 
And so just the, the number of people coming to town increases the cars on the road. And we have built a little bit of a beltway similar to the 470 that you guys have out there. And having those things be built in stages keeps traffic reporters busy because, you know, they're going to be shutting this down to build that stretch or they're shifting lanes over here and you need to know about it. So in terms of what we do every day, we're mostly construction driven. I'm speaking to Nate Tannenbaum, traffic anchor, 8 News Now in Las Vegas. You work with Nevada DOT. It's got to be generally small, though, because you have the one major city, Las Vegas. You have a couple of smaller cities like Reno and uh, Pahrump, but you're, you really don't have a whole bunch of big cities there in Nevada. How well are they taking care of the roads, and, and how are they to deal with? Yeah, so... In, you know, when we talked about social media and, and how all that has changed just in the last year, the, the Nevada DOT folks did create separate Twitter accounts because I think some of the folks in other parts of Nevada were tired of hearing about all the stuff going on down here in Las Vegas. So NDOT Reno, they have their fair share of stuff. Or so it's, they're mostly weather related when they're having issues up there with uh, I-80 uh, shut down for, I think it was a stretch of 30 miles during one of the recent snowstorms. So they, they have their own stuff going on up there. But most of Nevada is a very rural, wide open state. I believe the state population is somewhere north of 3 million. So we have two thirds of that. Reno has a little bit of that. But then the rest of the population is in much smaller communities that don't really have, the, they don't even have TV stations much less a need for real traffic. They might have some radio stations that do traffic, but generally there's just not that much traffic in the rest of the state. One of the more unique transportation projects that's being worked on in Las Vegas is not from the DOT. It's from the Elon Musk Boring Company, and they're building that tunnel. How is that moving along, and how is it being received by the locals? At first, when the uh, when he first proposed that and the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority became the first customer, um, there was incredulity. People were saying there's no way in the world because when you live in Las Vegas, at least when I got here, and it was just a fact that the soil, the, the actual earth on which Las Vegas is built, you just couldn't even dig a garage. Most homes in the Las Vegas area do not have garages because everyone was told that the soil here is so dense and so rock solid that it's not even worth trying to do that. You could do that if you have tons of money and you're a superstar athlete or whatever. But for most of us, there's no garages or no, uh, no basements. And so when Elon Musk started talking about digging an underground tunnel for mass transit, the first response was, you're kidding. But then as he made progress on it, and it's a pretty short stretch, I believe it's only a, literally a mile long that this uh, these tunnels exist underneath our convention and center for people to go from one exhibit hall to another. But he has worked deals, Elon Musk, with uh, the LVCVA, and now with municipalities, with the resort corridor. His next big jump, is to have these tunnels go underneath the Las Vegas Strip. And the people of Las Vegas, since it's mostly restricted to uh, the tourist area, don't even pay attention to it. It doesn't really get talked about 
and I am fascinated. And I, do you know how these things work? Or do you know uh, what the the transit consists of? Uh, well, I know that you have the the one monorail over by the convention center, and then there's the only that that little tram thing that goes between uh, Mandalay Bay and Luxor, and um, the what's it the the silly casino with the horses. Uh, the Excalibur. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so, so the boring company, those tunnels under the convention center, the the transit mode through the tunnels are they're Teslas. <laughs> okay, so you actually have to get in a Tesla and then drive it through the tunnel. They're self-driving. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's basically you're they're fancy taxi cabs they're self-driving taxis that are teslas geez i wonder why why that happened <laughs> with elon musk running the, the thing i have not been in one i'm curious to know how they work and i'm even more curious to know the technology that he is using to literally bore under the 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 earth that's where the the boring name comes from even though it's Kind of a terrible name for a company, don't you think? Well, yeah, exactly, because it's not really boring. It's actually quite exciting and quite interesting. Yeah, so he supposedly has, I don't think, any written contracts yet, but he is working on expanding this thing. Now, originally, the monorail was going was proposed to go right down the strip, literally the middle of Las Vegas Boulevard, elevated. But in the politics of Las Vegas, besides everything else that you could ever imagine when you hear about the mob and all that other stuff, there were individual casino operators before the conglomerates took over who insisted, if the monorail is not going to stop at my casino, then you, I'm not going to allow you to build it near my casino. So eventually, because they really wanted this monorail to happen, it's, it's not on the strip. It's on the next major north-south street to the east of Las Vegas Boulevard. It's a street called Paradise, and it only runs from Sahara, which is the north end of the Las Vegas Strip, down to Tropicana. I believe it's a stretch of a little over two miles. So this boring company tunnel that's a mile long, the monorail that's maybe a couple of miles long, it's economically not feasible. The monorail has actually been purchased by the Convention and Visitors Authority, and most people suspect that they bought it to shut it down so that the emphasis can be on these underground tunnels with the transportation. It's really funky. They talked about for years, Jason, having the monorail extend from the strip to the airport, and then it would become economically viable. And, you know, tens of thousands of more people would use it, but they just couldn't get the funding to to do that, to get it off the ground so it never happened. It's going to be tough to try to get tens of thousands of people all to use, just climb into a Tesla after they've gotten into an air, uh, off an airplane uh, and then <laughs> over through those tunnels. It just doesn't seem like it's a way to move a whole mass of people very quickly and efficiently. I agree. Uh, and I, it's, it's, it's uh, there, To me, there's something about it that, that I don't understand is how, how this even works. I mean, I, I understand physically how it works, but economically... I don't know what the driving force is behind it. Yeah. Yeah, it seems really weird. My guest is Nate Tannenbaum, traffic anchor at 8 News Now in Las Vegas. I've never understood why Las Vegas hasn't done that. It would make it so much easier because when you're standing on the Las Vegas Strip and you're standing there at the MGM and going, I'm just going to walk right over to the uh, the Paris or go walk over to uh, Caesars, it's a, it's a lot longer of a walk than you ever expected, even though it doesn't look that far. 
Yeah. Do you get out to Vegas frequently, Jason? Uh, not frequently, as much as I like, but I have in the past when I was a uh, when I was a little bit more free and easy without uh, without kids, and we could have yeah. guys trips out to Las Vegas. Uh, yeah, but that is one of the things that every tourist finds out the hard way. You know, when you see the 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 the, the now the drone video, but back then it was just what a helicopter video, whatever. Yeah. It just looks like this wonderful thing that you, you just walk by and it's no big deal, but you can wear yourself out, especially when it's 110 degrees in July and you have people falling over because it's so hot and they, they can't do the walk. So the, the, the monorail would have been much better off along the strip, but with individual businesses fighting for whatever they thought their business was, it just didn't happen. But it, it's mostly used for conventions now, the, uh, the monorail from the convention center to wherever the hotels are. And when you get on the monorail, the pre-recorded messages like the the tram trains out of DIA, you just get tired of hearing all that stuff. But they talk about the next stop is your closest stop to Harris, or which is then has access to the right. <laughs> well, you uh, speaking of conventions, CES is out there right now. Uh, do you get to go out to CES and check out any um, the the cool technology, especially as it relates to? You know, electric vehicle technology or any automobile cool technology that's coming through there? I can. I have chosen not to in the past. Uh, I, I was very excited about it. Uh, you know, you talk about having kids changing your life. Uh, our son is now 22, but back in the day uh, when he was five or six or something like that, I would go to the CES either on the day before it started or the day after it started because I'm not a big crowd person. And it was really fun to to walk around and, and see all of the technology. But when you talk about electric vehicles, uh, out at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and they are going to be racing autonomous electric vehicles. So they'll be driverless. So someone's going to have a remote or something, or they're going to drive themselves. I'm not sure how it's going to work. But CES is closing at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway with an autonomous vehicle race. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, uh, new technology gone into those autonomous vehicles. I rode in one, uh, autonomous vehicle over at the Colorado school of mines, uh, in the same okay. time. Yeah. They have a little, it looks like a giant toaster on wheels and it is autonomous, but only goes about 25 miles an hour at top speed and just takes some of the kids around campus. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Again, if we go back to the Jetsons when you and I were kids and they assume we'll all be driving flying cars, I'm just not sold on this thing working because people are bad enough drivers. I just don't know how vehicles and the technology that we as humans construct can do this safely in a mass transportation way. I don't see tens of thousands of autonomous vehicles getting by on a freeway without crashing into each other. It's going to have to be only computers talking to each other without having any I human intervention, because humans will mess it up. But if computers are able to at high speeds, like with the 5G connections, and they don't have any connection issues, it might be possible. But I don't think we still, like you said, have the technology yet to get into uh, fully autonomous cars. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's further down the road than than we're ready for because i you know it's, it's humans that build the computers and so the computers are still going to fail as they do exactly exactly i'm talking with nate tannenbaum traffic anchor eight news now in las vegas
So the driving you crazy segment, how did that come about when you were uh, talking about that? Was it something you came up with or something that the station had already uh, instituted? Yeah, it's it's been one of the franchises that the uh, 8 News Now has had. Gosh, I don't know when it first started, but it's at least 10, if not 15 years old. There are several traffic people before me who have uh, done the same thing. Uh, I think at one time they were trying to do it five days a week, and I said, there's there's no way in the world that I can do five of those things a week. Um, our, our newsroom used to have a lot more people in it. I don't know about Denver 7, but uh, we have shrunk, unfortunately. Uh, we're owned by the Nexstar folks who, you know, they always want you to do more with less. And the day-to-day folks who watch the news probably don't pay attention to it, but when you're in there trying to make the sausage every day, one of the things that that I have run into is, sorry, Nate, we don't have a, phot- a photog for you. And it's like, well, I still have to come up with something, so I don't know what's going to happen. So I do th- I do driving you crazy three days a week. We solicit emails from viewers to uh, try to solve some of the problems where the traffic signal isn't working or too many potholes. Um a lot of the complaints out here since the pandemic, fascinating, Jason, are vehicles with no license plates and law enforcement not enforcing and taking those cars off the road. It's it's kind of weird, but it is a thing. No, it's not weird. I get more complaints about expired temporary tags or yep. expired license plates more than anything. And, and people will send me, because I, I will take pictures if I see them. I will take pictures and mm-hmm. put them on my Twitter feed. And then yeah. people will tell me what they've seen. Somebody saw the other day a September of 2020 temporary tag still out there. Yeah, and we get plenty of those. But what's even freakier to me is zero tags. So it's like, how many stolen vehicles are being driven around here? And... Obviously, law enforcement has their priorities. I, I consider myself a friend of law enforcement, and I believe that the men and women who do that job are just amazing. But I believe that there really could be more of an emphasis on taking those vehicles off the road. I don't know how DPD does it or what the other um, law enforcement agencies around the Denver metro area do it, but I, I think this is a problem. Oh, it definitely is a problem. The officers I've talked to, there, there's a couple different reasons. Some younger cops are all gung-ho about it. Others are just, they don't want to deal with the paperwork. Um, but there, there, maybe there needs to be some kind of a, a reporting service. Hey, I, I saw this tag. Maybe you can follow up, you know, send it to law enforcement and they can follow up. And Because uh, it should be registered at an address somewhere, I would think. Absolutely. And the other thing that we're getting, and I don't know how much of an issue it may or may not be there in Denver... We have a street racing and people doing donuts in residential neighborhoods. And uh, that's another thing that local law enforcement has finally uh, gotten around to trying to um, um, take care of. It's, I cannot imagine, you know, as the burbs expand further out into nowhere, these people who have nothing better to do than to do donuts in somebody's neighborhood and do street racing all night long, it just became, they were free to do it, and law enforcement wasn't doing anything to crack down on it. So I don't know if that, is that an issue where you guys are? Yes, it is. It's It's been a, a big issue, and actually the city of Aurora has uh, passed an ordinance that basically allows them to confiscate cars if they're caught, uh, if they catch people street racing, um, and, and upping the fines and jail sentences and those sort of things to try to make a dent in what's happening with the street racing. Because it can be obviously very dangerous, and sometimes they'll even shut down an interstate like 
Interstate 225, uh, they'll have some folks that'll close it down so they're holding traffic and then let it clear out and then race down the interstate. No way. Yep. With, when the cops the cops don't shut them down? Yeah, that's it. and then so people will start calling who are stuck in this traffic jam, calling the cops, but they don't have time to uh, get there because the racers are already gone. So, I mean, they yep. do this over a less than five-minute period. They use the, use the open highway to go racing and then uh, move on. Wow, we haven't had that happen out here. Gosh, if if, we, if that got onto a freeway, wow. I hope nobody listening yeah. is in Las Vegas and thinks that's a good idea, so let's try that out here. The Las Vegas Raiders player, Henry Ruggs, the one that was involved in that fatal crash, was he racing or, or was he just speeding? Yes. Uh, the uh, computers that cars have these days, like little black boxes, uh, had him at 156 miles per hour on a residential street that, you know, tens of thousands of Las Vegans are familiar with. And when that came out, he was like, dude, you can't even hardly go 50 down that street. And I believe it was like three o'clock in the morning when this happened because his girlfriend had lots of Facebook videos of the both of them at Top Golf. And he supposedly had upwards of 10 to 15 drinks and failed to take advantage of the NFL's free service 24-7 for any player to call any time and get a ride when they shouldn't be driving. But, yeah, that was a residential street, 156 miles an hour. That's that's insane. I mean, t- totally, totally insane. Uh, did, what are some of the other more memorable or some of your favorite driving you crazy questions? Uh, for my me personally, it has been those massive uh, road projects where I get to have a little creativity. I think in one of them, I pretended I was on the Star Trek show and we were communicating from the starship Good Day Las Vegas. And there were some weird transportation issues. And we have some, we had a very creative uh, audio guy in the morning and we would dig up some sound effects and, and, and basically try to make a little science fiction show in the little one minute that we have to do a driving you crazy report. In terms of what viewers are emailing about, I'm guessing it's similar to what you get, and we were just talking about it. Mostly it's unregistered vehicles or expired tags, uh, street racing, uh, potholes, uh, you know, fairly generic stuff. So as much as I love the viewers, it's pretty much the same stuff most of the time. If I get somebody who gets onto a rant, there's another station here in the in the market that has a, a trademark where they just take viewer phone calls about anything and edit those down and put a five minutes of a rant on every night. So I can't use that term on the air, but if a viewer gets a pretty good rant going in an email, I will read that on the air and get all worked up kind of like, um, Howard Beale in network and, you know, <laughs> go a little bit nutty in, in less than a minute. And people kind of enjoy that. And I've become sort of friends with our regional transportation commission and the little, um, control room where they have access to all of the traffic cameras i mean it looks like you're in mission control for nasa it is really fascinating the technology that is used to supposedly synchronize our traffic signals when they technically it's possible but it just seems like it never works the way it's supposed to and here we are with a uh, a metropolitan area of two million people and there are tens of thousands of people getting wherever they're trying to go every day it is really amazing that it happens pretty regularly with without too much headache. It's, it still never works the way it's supposed to, but uh, 
I'm a, I am kind of a traffic geek, like you say, but I don't consider myself a, you know, a bona fide expert. I don't have a degree in anything, but it's fun to learn about these things and, and how they do these things, especially when you talk about ways and uh, those apps where vehicles driving around can actually contribute their data to the traffic flow that shows up on the Google or the Apple map or, or your total traffic computer or my WSI computer. Yeah, it's fascinating. It really is. I'm speaking with Nate Tannenbaum, traffic anchor, 8 News Now in Las Vegas. One of the unique aspects, I think, of driving around Las Vegas, as I have in the past, is that there are so many distractions to look at, especially for a visiting driver, somebody who's not used to seeing all the lights. Uh, maybe locals can get distracted by all the lights and all the different things going on and the pedestrians that are just jumping out in front of you uh, at almost any time, and they're probably half drunk, uh, but, you know, and all the general vagueness that's going on there. Do you think that's uh, there's anything to that, that people are more distracted just because there are more distractions to look at? Oh, for sure, when you're talking about the Strip, absolutely, or downtown, which is the Strip and downtown are two different things. Uh, the downtown is the much older, original part of Las Vegas, and um, they actually took, uh, tried to kind of copycat the 16th Street Mall, which is mm -hmm. certainly not what it, it once was when it first started, but they shut down what was the main street similar to 16th, it's called Fremont, and they put a canopy over it, and it's pedestrians only, uh, and I am frightened to drive through there because there are pedestrians who may have had a little bit too much to drink and get themselves in danger. But for the hundreds of thousands of uh, Southern Nevadans that call Las Vegas home, we generally try to avoid the strip. If we don't have business down there, there's really not a whole lot of reason to go down there. We appreciate the tourists who come here and pay our taxes for us because we don't have any state income tax. But you know, and you if you work down there, it's a different deal altogether. But generally, our auto pedestrian crashes are outside of the resort corridor. I mean, we do get our share of them, but boy, there are just too many dumb people, uh, both drivers and pedestrians, who don't know what a crosswalk is, who uh, at night are not wearing brightly colored colored clothing and make themselves targets with their own stupidity. Well, that's that's everywhere. It's uh, yeah, it really is not just a Las Vegas problem. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a uh, an everywhere problem. Um, and, and, and I'm and I'm sure you've seen uh, that change since Fremont Street is basically used to be able to drive down there at one point, but as you said, they have the canopy over there and they have that stupid zip line in there, and you can't yep. you can't uh, drive down Fremont Street anymore. That's correct, but there are streets that cross Fremont, so mm -hmm. there are pedestrians walking up and down Fremont who may not be paying attention. To the cross traffic, even though there are signals, uh, you know, when you have your yard yard of beer, <laughs> <laughs> right, or, or and you and shrimp cocktail. Yeah, oh, the 99 cent. I think I don't think there's any more 99 cent shrimp cocktail, Jason. I'd oh, hate to no. burst your bubble, man. Oh, man. <laughs> um, but I, and one of my driving you crazy is just in the past couple of weeks, I actually used uh, a CSP trooper in the high wind. Do you know who I'm talking about? Josh, Josh Lewis. Yeah. Yep. When he took the duct tape and, and taped his trooper hat to his head, I said, <laughs> oh man, I got to use that. It's awesome. Yeah, no, it you is. Know, he's, he's pretty, he's a, he's a really good guy. Yeah. And you know, when you see folks like that and the one I, I, I want to say it was Iowa or Illinois or Indiana, the, uh, the trooper that explained what a turning signal was in oh, right. a right. totally dry way. 
I use that one like every couple of years because it, 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 you just can't go wrong with it. What is your biggest pet peeve in traffic? People on their phones and stopped at a stoplight. Stoplight turns green. They're not going anywhere because they're trying to do a text or something like that. Um, when I was doing metro traffic in Denver, I actually ended up doing metro traffic in L.A. for a short period of time. And I was fascinated by the what we call the SIG out or the lockout. Um, when you sign off on a report, when you, when you say uh, Jason Luber, Denver 7, or whatever it is, there was a guy in L.A. who said, Paul Johnson, Metro Traffic, buckle up and drive carefully. It was kind of pretty simple, not that big a deal, but it became a signature for him. So when I started doing traffic here and on my Driving You Crazy reports, I have that, that SIG out where... Mine is buckle up, drive carefully, and please put down that phone. <laughs> and so when I go around town, you know, after doing the weather here for 25 years and people in the grocery store saying, hey, it's the weatherman. <laughs> right. Nowadays, I get folks saying, yeah, put down that phone, Nate. Perfect. So, it, You know, <laughs> if, if we can have any impact on human behavior and try to keep things moving along, I, I feel like I... We need to do that, and it, it may be something kind of silly like that that may or may not have any effect, but you want to think that you're doing something that maybe is going to help everybody move forward. Exactly. I'm talking with Nate Tannenbaum, traffic anchor, 8 News Now in Las Vegas. Why Why did you decide to go with the bow tie and not just a regular tie? Okay, so when I left Junction and I got out of the business, I, one of the smartest things I did was get an agent which sounds way fancier than it really was but do you remember back before the internet there were little news magazines newsletters or whatever i think one was called broadcasting and there were little wand ads in the back and this little tiny rectangle wand ad said hey if you send me your vhs tape if i think that i can get you a job i will try to get you a job i never met this lady ever never met her we just got through on snail mail and a couple of telephone calls she ended up sending my uh, tape to vegas uh, got an interview out here she said hey nate when you first start there you should go into town strut into town wearing a bow tie I go beverly no that's a shtick i'm not going to do a shtick um so when i first started here i was wearing a regular tie, like everybody else uh after a couple of years I started doing an afternoon movie show again while I was doing the weather. And I thought to myself, well, now that everyone in this community must know who I am from my fantastic <laughs> weather reporting and my fantastic movie show, if I wear a bow tie now, it'll be icing on the cake. So I, a couple of years in, I did switch to a bow tie. And of course, nobody knew who I was from anybody before then so when i did start wearing the bow tie people did start to notice and now i consider myself a bow tie guy in fact one of my favorite bow tie star stores in the entire world is right there at i think santa fe and 10th or 11th it's called the naughty tie company k-n-o-t-t-y yeah they make some very unique ties over there um one of my favorites is the denver skyline oh yeah it's no it's beautiful and there's all kinds of cool things that they creative things that they come up with all the time. Uh, they're a little bit too pricey for me. Um, I I just can't afford to buy that many ties. 
Right. Uh, but the thing is, it's really cool. Did you know that the ties that they make are made out of recycled water, plastic water bottles? Yeah. Yeah. No, we've done stories on that place and it's just, it's a really neat operation they have over there. Yeah. And now you can take any logo and they'll custom make a tie for you. Obviously it is more expensive, but even the ones that they, that they make are just wonderful ties. Um, I take it that you are not a bow tie person, Jason. No, I am not. I've never worn one in my entire life. I have about 125 ties, um, but none of them a bow tie. Oh, hey, I don't want to ramble on forever, but I do want to give a shout out to a friend of mine uh, who was a traffic reporter here in uh, Las Vegas for another 30 years or so, who uh, recently, who just passed away a couple of months ago and a great, great guy. Um, he was one of the few guys who, uh, whoever in broadcasting that I was aware of did a split shift. Did you ever do a split shift? Oh yeah, shift? most definitely. When I was at KOA doing the traffic, I was uh, flying in the morning and afternoon, did a split shift for a lot of years. When I started at Denver seven, I did morning in the studio and then was the helicopter reporter photographer in the afternoons. That's, that's gotta suck, dude. <laughs> it, it was great without kids with kids. It's much more challenging, but there's nothing like going to the grocery store at uh, 10 o'clock on a Tuesday. There's no one there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I mean, so your middays were free, but you were right. definitely, uh, but I have to think that it did affect Tom's social life. Tom Hawley was the gentleman's name. He never got married. He had girlfriends along the way, but I just don't think any woman was able to deal with his split shift and going to bed at the hours that we have to go to bed and then, coming back around and doing it again but uh, tom did a split shift and the reason uh, that i remembered to to bring him up was when we're talking about ties on fridays tom would do a novelty traffic tie and he collected the most bizarre <laughs> stoplight ties or traffic cone ties or anything that, that he found these weird traffic ties on every friday would be some weird traffic novelty tie oh that's a great story love that yeah love that story you, you you mentioned that you're being recognized out and about. Do you do you always hang out at the casinos? Is that something that uh, people do in Las Vegas? You you obviously have to get up early like I do, so you probably can't stay out there too late. I want to say that in the younger days, we absolutely did. Um, back in the late 80s, early 90s, everybody kind of feels that they're part of the same boat. And I was on a swing shift back then doing just the weather. And so, you know, the kids, the younger people in the business, they, I, I think they still hang out and do the casino thing. Uh, they go out to the clubs and stuff like that. I'm, I'm too old for that. And even if I didn't have the hours that I have, I just feel like my life is different. And I, that's just not part of what I need to do or feel comfortable doing. Even before the pandemic, it's just like you kids go out and have fun. You know, a grumpy old guy here will just, <laughs> you know, go to bed and not, not worry about it. Exactly. So I don't personally hit the strip, but it is a thing that the younger folks at the station do and God bless them. I hope they have fun. So how much longer do you think you're going to do this? How many uh, more years you got in the old uh, traffic department? Well, one of the things that has uh, crossed my mind, and maybe yours as well, the industry itself continues to change. And as long as someone is willing to pay me, I want to keep on doing it. I've had opportunities to try to do other things. And I just keep coming back to this because, frankly, I don't know what else there is that I can do. I love what I do, and I want to keep doing it. And I think if people say that they like my community work and I, I think that's helped me be successful. And I like to think that I've helped our community just in terms of being a guy on TV that gives everybody a, a feeling of community. And I give shout outs to the schools and stuff like that. So the answer is as long as somebody will continue to pay me to do it, I'm ready to do it. At some point I'm, I may think about retiring, but the, 
the other thing that I think you probably experienced, when you work for multiple companies in your career, there's no such thing as a pension. Right. But I don't want to, I don't want to do that yet. <laughs> and I might have some kind of change coming from social security. And I, you know, you, you, you try to save a little bit along the way, but frankly, we need the money. You haven't paid off the house yet. Maybe at some point when we sell off the house or, you know, pay off the house and get into someplace smaller, might be something to think about, but I just like what I'm doing. How about you? Oh yeah, no, I like what I'm doing. I got at least 10 years left until my uh, baby girl gets out of, out of, uh, she's in fourth grade right now. So I have at least eight years of schooling left for her. So, um, that puts me at about, you know, eight, eight, 10 years. And then I think about that time I'll go do so. I don't know what, but I'll do something else. It's the, well, hours, you know, it's the hours that are killing me. <laughs> for sure. So back in the day there in Denver, uh, when we were first doing uh, some of the traffic stuff, prior to Metro, I believe in the early days, and I hope I'm not making this up, but I believe that there was a fellow from the AAA Auto Club who provided daily telephone traffic reports to radio stations. His name was Dan Hopkins. Oh, Dan is a good friend of mine. He, uh, oh, is he still still alive? Yes, he is. He um, he actually was the main spokes guy for the Department of Transportation when I first started doing uh, any reporting and traffic stuff here. So I worked with Dan all the time. He is a great guy. Yeah. So he was CDOT. Yeah. Well, wow. Yeah. So one of the other guys who actually was uh, with me at Metro, I believe, ended up at CDOT, and I don't know what ended up happening to him, but it was Brian Jordan who was also doing some stuff for CDOT. Brian, I think it? Brian has retired now. He, uh, At least I, I haven't talked to him in a couple of years, but he was over at the operations center in, uh, for the DOT, again, sending out that you know the traffic updates and that sort of thing from their operations center out in Golden. Yeah. Wow. So small world, my friend. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Well, Nate, Tad and Baum, Traffic Anchor, 8 News Now, Las Vegas. It's been a pleasure uh, catching up with you and uh, and meeting you here virtually and, and uh, getting to know your story. Thank you so much for uh, for joining me, for, for all your info and all your great stories. Uh, best of luck and thanks again. Yeah, now before we sign off, if I can take in just another minute or so, I still have a niece and a nephew there in the metro area of Denver. And if I get out there and uh, visit either one of them, I hope I can stop by. You guys are still on Spear, right? Certainly are for now until they, they've already sold the building. So you got about a year and a half until we move to a new place. <laughs> well, and I'm, I love the stuff that you put up on your social media. You put up, put up a lot more uh, video clips of uh, goofy traffic stuff than I do, but I appreciate your stuff and I'm going to you know keep following you. And I appreciate the invitation to be on your show. And uh, if I ever get a podcast, I'll have you on my podcast. Perfect. I love that. Great idea. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And I'm really glad that I am going back to these uh, talking traffic segments. It's uh, it's a lot of fun for me. I hope it's fun for you to listen to uh, how other people are doing traffic in different towns and the uh, different things going on traffic-wise and uh, transportation-wise in other towns. There are several other people I would like to get here on the show on my uh, short list of interviews. I'll be looking to get some of them on fairly soon. I have another one scheduled. Somebody, uh, no, it, it, not a talking traffic segment, a different interview scheduled for uh, uh, next time that I'm still working on, and uh, I should be able to settle that down uh, here in the coming weekend and then 
get it on the show uh, next time. Anyway, if you have a suggestion of somebody you would want me to have on the old program here, then then give me a, a shout on any of the contact links. Uh, you could always call the listener hotline number 303-832-0217 or use any of the contact links there uh, in the description of this show. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Nate for uh, being here as well. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe and as always, happy motoring. <laughs>